Ready for next year? It hasn't started yet, okay? Jesus may still come back before that. <laughs> Everything that I'm saying is assuming next year will happen. <laughs> All right, turn with me please to Isaiah chapter 62. Of course, I've been uh, seeking the Lord about this coming year and, uh, and what's, what's in store for us. So I believe that um, the Word of God is true anyway. Yeah? Whatever, whatever I've heard, the Word of God is true by itself. Yeah? Right? It's not dependent on whether I heard it right, but it's true anyway. Amen? It has power in and of itself to fulfill itself. Yeah? So anyway... Uh, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 62, and I'll read a part of it, and perhaps we will, we will continue talking about it in, the, in subsequent weeks, but um, I'd, I'd like to just read uh, about five verses about, from there. Reading from verse 1, I'm reading from the ESV. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silence, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet, or I will not rest, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness, and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name, that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. And we'll stop here. Let's pray. Lord, we welcome your presence. We thank you, Lord, that only in your light can we see light. We can know things uh, cognitively, but unless you reveal things to us, we don't really have a knowing that can be assured, Lord. So uh, we ask you that you come. We throw ourselves at your mercy, and we ask you that you would come and pick us up right now and speak to us in the... In the, in the vast uh, places of darkness that we live amongst and even carry within ourselves. We ask you that even now you will speak to us. We commit ourselves to you and thank you, Lord, for all that you've done this past year and the things that you brought us through. We welcome you, Lord, to speak to us as we look over the edge of 2023 into 2024. We ask you that you would give us revelation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's very interesting when we think about the future. We all default to different kinds of modes of predictive um, perspective, right? Of, of, of prediction. Um, and we can sometimes think about God speaking to us about the future uh, in various ways. Um, one way is to think... I'm going to ask God to speak to me and tell me what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. And so this kind of person tends to be like a kind of a fortune-telling type. I know God can speak. He speaks from the future and he'll tell me what's going to happen. It's almost as if these people who think that way have a deterministic point of view. God has determined that things are going to work out this way and... So I'm going to seek God so that I can have insight to what God is going to do or what's going to happen. I'm not sure whether any of us have that. Sometimes we can think of having a word from the Lord in that way where God is predicting 
your future. So we kind of go to the Bible like we go to the, the um, fortune teller and we kind of stick our finger into the pages of the Bible and see what comes up. Yeah, See what the number comes up. There's, there's a certain hyper-Calvinism about that in which, in which we can sometimes think God has determined it to be that way. Right? And then there are other people who just look at the future, look, look at the future and they think it's, it's just totally ab- about what we do. Yeah? It's a little bit of an Arminian kind of look in, the air in which as if God really has, doesn't really care about what happens. It's all up to you whether you live in a hardworking, a righteous way or not. It's all about you. Yeah? It's all about you. And we can take two, these two extremes. But I want to put it to you that actually neither of them are actually uh, a biblical way of looking at it. And if you look at Isaiah chapter 62, there's something of that in-between thing that is very interesting. For Zion's sake, verse 1, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nation shall see her righteousness and all kings your glory. It's almost as if the, 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 the prophet is saying, there is an until thing that we can actually look towards. And what God is saying is, I'm, this is my will. I actually intend for you to have great things happen in your life. My view of 2024 is great. Your righteousness will go forth as brightness and your salvation is like a burning torch. And all kings shall see your righteousness. All, all the nations shall see your righteousness. And they will be impacted by that. And then the rest of Isaiah chapter 62 talks about really great things. Your land will be no longer forsaken, will not be desolate, and great things will happen. It's almost as if Isaiah, the language of Isaiah 62 is not, this is going to happen unconditionally. It's saying, I want to invite you to not rest and not keep quiet until that happens. That until is very hopeful, right? Yeah? It's not, well, we'll see, good luck. It's like, do this because this is my will. God's will doesn't always happen. It is, in some ways, contingent upon us. That is why most people don't experience the will of God coming to pass in their life. Not just many, but most. The great uh, paradox is that God's will often doesn't come to pass, even though His heart is full of things that He has for us. But there is a thing called, do this until it happens. That's meant to make us hopeful. But there's a way in which God is saying, this is, where, this is, this is the, the grain of, his, of history. This is the grain of the universe. This is the way I'm going to go. And I invite you to come into that. Okay? I think sometimes what happens is that in the, our current age, most things come just by clicking. And so because they just come by clicking, we have this way, default way of thinking about how God works. It's like, I, this is what I have for you. Here's a basket. Here's your, 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 your cart. And just click. And then things will go into the car. 
And we are not used to thinking in terms of life as a, it's a battle. It's a fighting thing. And so when God gives promises, He doesn't actually just mean click. He means engage. Enter into the battle. Because I provide safety and I provide victory. But you have to enter into it. So may I suggest to you that Isaiah chapter 62 is hopeful because of the fact that it says that God invites us into a battle that we can win. We can lose also, yeah. But we can win as well. The point is, God's will is active and you can actually, you and I can actually enter into it. So it says, it's very active. It says, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. You are not to keep quiet about it, nor rest, nor keep quiet, until His righteousness goes forth as brightness, and her salvation as a burning torch, and the nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. Now, I've got to tell you that this year has been difficult because of the fact that the things that have been going forth from the church at large have not all been good. Some of them have been downright depressing, disturbing, and harmful. And so when God speaks about your righteousness going forth as brightness, and when I read that, it piqued my interest because I had questions in my mind about how this year has ended across the body of Christ. And it is disturbing and sad to see that actually a lot of ministry, a lot of spiritual stuff that has gone out from the church, from large church organizations, has been terrible. It has been terrible. It made me want to look at Isaiah chapter 62 and ask the question, what is it that's going forth? Right? What is going forth from us? You look very disturbed. Relax. It's actually hopeful. But we have to get underneath all this stuff so that we know this, this coming year, what is it that God wants to bring, come forth from, from our church, from ourselves? What, 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 what do you think? Because there are a lot of things that have gone forth that have been tested this year and it's come out bad. It's almost as if the biopsy has been done on all the things that have come forth. And as you as it gets examined, what's in there is cancerous. It's cancerous. It's gone forth. It's been attractive, but it's cancerous. I don't know whether all of it is, ca is cancerous, but all I know is this. The Lord is paying attention in Isaiah chapter 62 to what's going forth. What's out there, right? So when I had my, uh, my prostatectomy, 
um, the, one of the things that they did was to actually check the lymph nodes around the prostate bed, the prostate area, and to check for cancer in there. And in, the, you, in, in some ways you, you can say it's a successful operation, but you never really know until you do the biopsy. So before we move into next year, perhaps the biopsy is, a, is needed so that we are able to get past things that are impactful, that look really good, that are really attractive, that are gifted even, that are even anointed, and check to see whether what's in the biopsy is benign or not. And what I see here is that in Isaiah chapter 62, it doesn't say attractive, impactful, worldly wise things will go forth. It says, you are not to keep silent and not be quiet until righteousness goes forth as brightness and salvation as a burning torch. And the, self, and the nation shall see your righteousness and all kings the glory. So that what they are going to see is not our coolness. Not something that looks as good as the world. Not something that looks attractive or well marketed or even well organized. That's not the glory that's going forth. It's the righteousness of God. And in the Bible, when the word righteousness is used, sedek in the Old, Old Testament, it means the nature of God, the love of God, the character of Him, the holiness of God. What goes forth is not nice stuff. It's actually not even gifted stuff alone. Because what we've seen is that many gifted people have been attractive, but what's in there has cancer in it. It has cancer in it. And it makes people wonder, is all this real or not? Or is it just a whole bunch of bunkum? You know? It makes many Christians shaken about the church. Especially big things. Things that have been impactful. And so I will put it to you that actually, for this coming year, when God says, do not keep silence, do not rest, it's because what He wants to bring forth in us is righteous. Not just powerful, but powerful as well. Don't get me wrong. Not just gifted, but gifted as well. Supernatural. But it feels like Christ. You cut it and you biopsy it. It's not necessarily impressive, but it could be. But it is the righteousness of God, the essence of God, the, the godness of God. May I suggest to you that what God is wanting to do is to cause His Godness to come forth out of our church, out of our lives. And it may not look that impressive at, at, at first because of the fact that 
It says it goes, goes forth like a burning torch. It's like there's burning that goes on. And may I suggest to you that actually, in order for God to purify what comes out of our lives in this coming year, He has to begin a burning in there. Yeah? And a burning is what causes the glory of God to come. So that even as we are speaking, ministering, living our lives, whatever it is, uh, people say doing life together, whatever, it's burning. It's not burnt, it's burning. It's not just gifted and attractive and well-organized and well-marketed and impressive and all that, but it is burning. It's burning and that's what God's doing in our lives. Amen? So I believe that what God has for us is not something that we just wait and hope and get a prediction that things are going to go out okay. But actually, it's an invitation that God gives to us to engage in prayer. Pray until it becomes like a fire inside us. Pray until a fire begins to burn off our selfishness. Uh, Robert Sapolsky says our freedoms, we were talking about that last week, has imprisoned us in a prison of corruption and disease. So we look for freedom, and what the freedom has given us is a space for it to be just filled with corruption and disease. And what God is wanting to do is to fill it up with something else. Yeah? Amen? Okay, let's, let's, let's have a look at this then. Isaiah chapter 62 is not a prediction. It's an invitation to join in with what God is doing. Okay? It's a... Uh, John Wesley said, man can do nothing without God, but God will do nothing without man. What he's saying is what he's, he's experiencing, and, and, and that is that God has chosen in his love to work with us. So I don't have to leave uh, this coming year to the vagaries of happenstance. Actually, God has a path. And there's a path that's a good one. How was your path last year, this year? For many of us, it's been difficult. What say you? What with sicknesses? We had more cancers than, than, than we, we, we care to... To, uh, to, to think about. But I could see God giving us victory through the way. It's almost like you go through the fire and the fire burns off any kind of self, um, self, uh, self-reliance, pride, you know, mistaking of good things for God things, all that. God does that. And there's a fire that's come upon us that, built, that, has, that has shaken us to the quick for some of us. Things have not been that easy. But what it does is that it brings us to a place in which we know that we have hope in no other except God. In Hosea, 
God says to the, to, the, to, the, to the children of Israel, He says, I gave you all these things. I gave you the wine, grain, the wine and the oil. And you said, it's my beauty that has brought this success to me. And so what God says, I will take away these things so that you will know who blessed you. And some of us have experienced that. Our health, our reliance, our good um, our, our good predictions about for ourselves, our optimism, and God's taken that away. And some of us have been left completely broken. And some of us have been left full of the glory of God. The testing is almost like the fire that comes and it tests what's inside us. And I've been struck today, today this period, by what has turned out at the end of the year in so many people's lives. So I, I feel that as we look into the, the year ahead, I'm very sober about what's going to go forth. Yeah, I'm very sober about it. I don't have this gung-ho kind of thing that things are going to go out because God is in, on the throne and he's, he's given us this ability to be a king's kid and we can live our best life and whatever it is, I think the Lord has something for us and he invites us to engage in this, in something, and here's the sober thing, that most people will not succeed in. That God is calling us into something that most people will not experience. That's the sober thing. But there's no reason why we should not. All right. This is what he has. The nation shall see your righteousness, verse 2, and all kings your glory. That means that the glory of God, the nature and the power of God will be so evident that at a certain point it will be conspicuous. It will be conspicuous to places that you do not even have access to. All right? It will not be our marketing, not, the, not be our smarts that will do it, but it will be God. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. And you shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. It's almost as if God is saying, I understand desolation for you. That is a, that is a predicate of what I'm going to do. And I wonder whether we are experiencing this and this kind of ambivalence about the year ahead, um, I'd like to turn with you to one passage of Scripture that can be found in Numbers chapter 14. And um, we'll look at this as the congregation of Israel um, confront the fact that they're given a chance to enter into the Promised Land. Uh, you can turn with me to Numbers chapter 14. Um, Moses had sent 12 spies, each one representing a tribe in Israel, and sent them into the promised land, into Canaan, to give a report. So many of you know, 10 of, 10 of the spies gave a good report, and two spies gave a bad report. Now what's really interesting is how 
people responded to seeing the same thing. Okay? They saw the same thing essentially, but they, what they saw in their spirits, in their hearts, was different. Okay? So the ten people, the ten spies who came back said, indeed, the land that you sent us to is definitely full of fruit. The fruit are so huge. It's amazing land. But there are also giants. And because of these giants, there's no way we can actually take that land. Verse 1 of chapter 14. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And all the people grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation and the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the two uh, spies that had faith, who were among those who had spied out of the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. For they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from us and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said, said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting and all the people of Israel to all the people of Israel. So here's this. Here's the situation. You have a situation in which the children of Israel are caught between a rock and a hard place. First of all, the 12, the, ten, the 12 spies have gone in. 10 of them, the majority opinion has been that this land is so full of giants, we can't take the land. And the congregation is thinking, we've traveled here for 40, 45 years and all that God has done comes to this, we are stuck. We can't move forward. Maybe we should go backwards. Maybe we should go back to Egypt and find an alternate promised land. Maybe Egypt is the better promised land. Actually, we regret having done this. And some can be faced with a situation in which you've come to the end of 2023 and you're thinking, I'm stuck. I can't go forward. It is impossible. There is no future. There is nothing left for me. I came by faith and it seemed like God was leading me this way and now there's nowhere to go because of the giants. Because what's ahead of us is well nigh impossible. And there are some who are here that I sense are in this situation. I can't move forward. I don't know whether I can even move backwards. And some of them said, let's go back to Egypt. But they could not move forward because the reality was, as far as they knew, a big wall in which the giants were in the way. It's impossible. 
It's impossible. Some of us are feeling we can't move forward because the prospects are terrible. It's, the enemies are too great. My family is against me. My friends are against me. My colleagues are against me. There is no hope here. There's no future. Have you come to that point sometimes? I've had it had many times. I've come to this point where I says, I, don't see, I cannot foresee anything good coming out of this. From what I've experienced of this, this kind of situation, this is going nowhere. Or this is going terrible places. And I sense that there are some of us who are in this room today who feel exactly that. There is no hope. Because given the factors and the situation we have seen with our own eyes or experienced with our own eyes, projecting forward, all these factors are still there ahead of us. Ahead of us are the same factors that have imprisoned us. I don't see how we can move forward. And why has God brought us here? And here's the, here's the equation the, the, the children of Israel couldn't solve. Why is it God has brought us here to die? There have been miracles that have taken place, but they've all come to nothing. Have you been in situations in which the Lord seems to have done a lot of good things and brought you to this place and you think, yes, this is something that God is doing, and then suddenly, boom, you hit a, hit, hit a wall and there's no prospects. Yeah? What say you? It's a sickness. It's a financial situation. It's a thing that I've done. A mistake I've made in the past. A trap that I got into. Checkmated. Or at least an impasse in which it's a um, stalemate. You can't move into 24, 2024 because of the presence of these things. And so it's understandable that the children of Israel thought, this is completely hopeless. Their assumption though is that it's impossible to move forward. But we have to understand that the Christian life is predicated upon miracles. The Christian life is predicated upon a whole different environment than what we envisage. The environment is the presence of God. The Christian life cannot be lived unless by the presence of God. Now we've got to understand this. There's no two ways about it. Either the Christian life is real because the presence of God is real, or what we are doing is something that is akin to the Christian life. Perhaps you are believing the values and the good, the, 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 the values of the good book and all that, and you're trying to follow that, but you're doing it in a completely naturalistic way. And when you come to a situation in which you, you hit the river and the river is too deep, the wall is too, too high to, to scale. You have to come to a point, you have to decide what kind of Christianity you're committed to. And the children of Israel have to decide first, right when they came, came there, whether God is actually going to be real and He's inviting us into something that is great, or He's not. But the biopsy is being done upon our faith now. It's being done right now. And I've got to decide what I'm going to be committed to. Isaiah chapter 62 is not talking about what you believe in or what your opinion about the Word of God is. He's, he's inviting us to commit ourselves to a course of action that is determined by the fact that God must do something. He must intervene in a way that 
is invisible, but very real. We have no choice. 2024 is going to be a very difficult year. In 2024, there are going to be more revelations. There are more, the, the testing will come, and you will see that the things that you trusted before cannot be, trust, cannot be trusted anymore. Everything that we built our foundation upon is actually going to be tested. All the things that seem to be effective and powerful and all that, and, and attractive and gifted and all that, will be tested. And only the righteousness that goes forth at brightness will survive. Not our, not our marketing, not our, none of our projections, not our great efforts at funding great things happening. None of that. It's righteousness, the substance of God, only that will go forth. Everything else will be biopsied, including that. You'll be biopsied and biopsied and biopsied, and you come to a point in which you think the church is just a complete sham. Because all the things that you respected does not, uh, don't, don't amount to anything much. I have myself experienced some of the, the people that I have respected most have turned out to be horribly corrupted. Horribly corrupted. And so what, what's going to happen is this. We will have to choose either of two scenarios. One is that the Bible gives really good advice for good living, and it's a good ethical book, and we can still follow it. Jesus was really not really that historical, and we don't really know whether all this is really true or not. Or, we have to say, this is all predicated upon the fact that God is present, invisible, but potent. And you're going to face the wall, you're going to face the enemies, predicated upon the fact that God is real. And he's going to ask you to do things that you can't do. It came to me a year or so ago that everything that I was hopeful for in ministry could not be done. Not by me. Someone else could do it better than me, but not me. I came to this awful realization. Actually, it was a little bit early during my sabbatical. I realized... All the things that God had promised me required something from me that I do not have. And I reached this place of, of, of decision in which I realized all the promises of God, all these great things that God was saying can't be done. Not by me. Someone else more gifted, more whatever can do it, but not me. And then I realized, just like what was being put forward to the children of Israel, that in order for me to move forward, I cannot factor in only my abilities or my lack of ability. I began to realize that the path that God had set for me, and I think all of us, is an impossible task. You could be swallowed up and you can be eaten up, or you could just and fail. I'll tell you. It's just not possible. Not possible. I faced the awful realization after so many years, at the age of 60-something, that all this stuff that I've been hoping for cannot be done. Not by me. Not by me. 
And then I realized this was exactly what God was bringing the children of Israel to. Caleb, at the age of 40, had come to a point where he was faced with this test. But here's the, the, the great thing about it. In this test, what was in their hearts was revealed. It came out. Yeah? Came out. Let's have a look at it. I, I think there's been a misunderstanding of Numbers chapter 14, actually, when we think about Caleb. We think of Caleb as being this gung-ho person, having a right attitude, positive attitude, optimistic attitude, really good guy who's not a loser, didn't have a losing, losing mentality, but a person who's like gung-ho, right? Up for it. Up for itness. Right? We think in order for us to be a winner as a Christian, we need to have that kind of attitude, this winning attitude, this positive attitude. And we think of Caleb, the way in which we would, we would say here in America, I'm going to have those enemies for breakfast. They're like bread for me. I can, I can imagine how we present it like, this is the gung-ho kind of guy. This is the can-do kind of person. That kind of rugged can-do-ness, right? I don't think so. I don't think any of that characterized Caleb. I think if you look more closely at the text, there's a few things that Caleb had that made him different from the others. Okay, let's have a look at it. What did he say? All right. Verse 6, And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Japhneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and he said, The land which we passed through to spy out it's an exceeding good land. Okay. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from, uh, from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Okay, that's what he said. He didn't say we can, we, we can, we can beat anything, we can be anything we want to be. He didn't say... Choose whatever you want to do, God will back it up. No, he didn't say that. He says, very carefully, he says, first of all, don't rebel against the Lord. If the Lord delights in us, you'll give it to us. That's like a huge if, don't you think? It's almost like saying, if God is for us, if God really like, is happy with us, he'll give it to us. Well, how, you see? He tied it to pleasing God. He tied it to pleasing God. He didn't tie it to this can-do, daring-do kind of, yeah, we can do it. He didn't even tie it to faith. He tied it to, if He's pleased with us, if we cultivate pleasing God, He will do it. Nothing about us doing it, it's about Pleasing God. What say you? Pleasing God. What kind of quality is that? Pleasing God. Wanting to please Him for His sake. Not using God to please ourselves. He takes ourselves out of the center of perspective 
and throws it out towards God. And so what Caleb was saying is this, I need to have a perspective in which I am not the center, that freedom is not for me to do whatever I want, but it is for God. I live for God. Now, most of Christian teaching today is a sort of a self-help way in which we can help ourselves by means of God's helping us. How do we get God to help us? What say you? Part of the shaking that's taking place in so much of the, the church is the fact that the center of the church's mission is to be a healing center. That's true. No, may I suggest to you that it's to please God. His worship is at the center of it. When uh, God spoke to Moses, to Pharaoh, he says, let my people go that they will worship me. Not for themselves, they worship me. Well, of course, the understanding is that when I worship God, He will make all these things fall into place, right? But you can't do it by putting the, the blessing at the center of it. You cannot put, do it by putting yourself at the center of it. Because if you do, everything that comes out of you when you biopsy will have self at the center. God becomes peripheral and, and serving towards this center of self. So what Caleb was saying is that the dynamic is not faith and daring do and oh, I can do this and, and all that and, and I, I'm really gifted and have confidence in myself or even have confidence in God. He was saying, please Him. That's why when we worship and we, we come to praise, we actually give Him a sacrifice of praise where we actually say, I'm not doing this so that I'll make myself feel better or as a form of therapy. I'm doing it because the center is God. And if I take my place in the center, I'll orbit Him properly. What say you? The, the old, in old English, there's this word that I've used often, it's called incurvature. It has to do with the fact that whenever we look out towards God or towards things, we curve back in towards ourselves and cannot help but thinking of it in terms of what good it will do to me. Right? So when we worship the Lord, we worship, and before long we're asking, how's my worship? Or when we worship the Lord, is it doing any good for me? No. When you can cut loose and worship the Lord for His own sake and please Him, something happens. It releases a whole new dynamic. Does that make sense? I think when we go into 2024, we should not be too worried about how we are appearing to other people. What say you? How this is furthering our career, our, our ministry, our, all these things. Don't worry about it too much. That is why I think Caleb looks like he's, he's got a certain amount of freedom in him that comes from a lack of focus on his own career path or his ministry path or his calling. He's not even worried about that. He's not even thinking about his callings. It's just please God. Right? Amen? Here's another one. Do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Here's the second thing I, I would suggest is, is true. Caleb saw something that the others didn't see. He saw in the Spirit that their protection, the protection of the Amalekites, had been taken off. 
they saw, he saw something with his heart, with his spirit, that was supernatural. He saw something by revelation. He could see faith moved in his heart. He heard. He heard something from God in which he could perceive that the enemy at that time was unprotected. He could see into their hearts how he saw it. It must have been by revelation of the Spirit that now is a good time because the protection was gone. May I suggest to you that the second thing about Caleb is that he could hear from God. He could perceive from God. First thing is that he pleased God. Secondly, he perceived in the Spirit. I want to say to you that actually, as we move forward, it's not this daring do, this can-do attitude that is the most crucial thing. It's not how we appear to other people, how we strategize that's the most crucial thing. That may be important somewhere along the line, but the essence of what's really important right now, that if we don't get right, all these other things become only, only of relative importance, is that we have our hearts swallowed up by God, immersed in God. His perspective was to please God, take himself out of the center, immerse himself with God, so that through that he could see things. Yeah? I think it's C.S. Lewis says, uh, how we see things depends on where we are seeing it from. Okay? Well, where we are seeing it from, and also what kind of person we are. But what C.S. Lewis is basically saying is this, it is not just an objective view. It is the perspective that we have, where we're we coming from when we are looking at things. Now, if you watch soccer, you can see it all there. But if you watch F1 racing, you can't, right? You can see they have all these screens because you can't see the whole track. So you may see something very, very well and very, very accurately and very, very precisely, but you may be looking at the wrong screen. You may be looking at the wrong thing very, very, very well. And what God wants to do is to put us in Him. That is why in the New Testament, Jesus speaks about being in Him. Paul speaks about in Him, in Him, in Him all the time. So that in Him, our perception is immersed in Him. We are baptized into Him. We die into Him so that we are given over to Him so that He changes our perspective and He puts us in the right place for what we are going to see. Or else what will happen is that we will be very intelligently looking at the wrong thing, the wrong perspective. May I suggest to you that actually Caleb saw things from God's point of view. Yes? You're not excited? There is a way in which revelation is not just a matter of sharpening your mind or, or um, kind of being very, very sensitive and sensitized to any kind of movement of the Spirit. I think it's a lot to do with being found in Him. Dying into Him and saying, Lord, I give you my life. I surrender all. Because when that happens, as we begin to stay in the, world, in the presence of God in prayer, what God does is that He puts a fire and He begins to burn off the dross. We can't do it to ourselves. You can't crucify yourself. Right? True? You're crucified on the cross. You can't, you can't crucify yourself. Yeah? 
you can try to use your leg to, but you can't. You can't crucify. You are un, you are unable to die to self. Dying to self has to be administered by the Holy Spirit. But you can wait on Him, and you can say, Lord, administer the death of our Lord Jesus to me, so that I will die to my own self, my corruption, and be alive to You. And if you're willing to wait. God will begin to do that. The burning will begin to come. And we find our hearts changed. May I suggest to you that Caleb functioned from a changed heart. I can't know how to discern the thoughts that are coming into my mind just by trying to be clever and try to sort of sort them out. I can't. I don't believe the spirit of discernment is a very smart, intelligent person who's able to sort out all the thoughts that are coming, a thousand thoughts, and sort them out properly and, and examine them carefully. I believe a person with discernment is just this. A person who has surrendered to God, spent time with God in prayer, and as prayer happens, all the spurious thoughts begin to come, come away until there's only one, one compelling thing. And it's the first thing that comes to mind. What say you? I shared with, with you that my wife Cindy used to work in a particle physics lab. And, um, and as many of you know, in order for, for, for you to actually have measurements um, on the instrument, you have to actually have a, what you call a clean room. Yeah? Because of the particles that are all over the place. You can't do measurements while, the, while the, the place is filled with particles. So what they try to do is to have a clean room. And so when you enter into that room, it's almost as if the particles are all being removed so that what you see in terms of the measurements on the instrument is just simply what's there. And you can assume that there are not other spurious or, 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 or uh, distracting part particles around. You're, so she said you have to wear proper shoes, you have to cover your shoes, you have to cover yourself, you have robes and all that, so that you will not add to the, um, to the, um, the confusion of too many particles. A clean room is one in which you can go in and simply take the measurements and whatever comes, whatever readings come, you can take in good faith that are there. May I suggest to you that this person with discernment is not necessarily a really smart person who is able to sort through a thousand thoughts. May I suggest to you that actually a person with discernment is a person who says, Whoop, the first thing that comes to my mind, generally, I just feel that's the right thing. What say you? <laughs> right? Discernment is not some clever, clever trick of the mind. It is just Taking in good faith whatever comes. That is, it's, not, it's not as simple as that. But you get my idea. Yeah? And so this is what um, we saw that um, Caleb had. If you turn with me to Judge, Joshua chapter 14, um, this is about 40 to 45 years later. As a result of Israel's collapse in morale, um, they had to go around the wilderness for another 40 years. But Joshua chapter 14 is 40 odd years later. And all the children of Israel have died except um, Joshua and Caleb. 
And Caleb comes to Joshua 40, 45 years later and reminds him of what happened that day in Numbers chapter 14. Right? Okay, let's have a look at this. He says, verse 7, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Just as he has said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke his word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. Wow. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. What Caleb is basically saying is that in these 45 years, I lost nothing. We were singing about that today. Do you remember that? I lost nothing. In fact, the waiting strengthened him more and more. Because just imagine walking around in the wilderness and having no prospects except what God has kept alive in him. What kept him going was this living thing that he nurtured and he treasured and he listened to and he wholly followed. And that is the word of the Holy Spirit in him. He immersed himself in it. Because in the times of wilderness, in the times of indifferent circumstances and times of difficult circumstances, there was one reality that stood between him and utter disaster and it's the word of the Lord. Okay? What you have been experiencing, many of you, this past year is just this. The only thing that stands between you and utter disaster is this thing that's alive. It's living. And God has the ability to confirm it again and again and again. That's why in daily prayer, we have confirmations. See? We pray together, we listen, everybody listens together and we bear witness. Oh, I got this. Oh, that's exactly what I got. I've been finding that almost every week, someone would say something and share something that the Lord's put in their heart, and I say, oh, I got that this morning for my devotions. I may not say it, but I, it confirms this thing for me. I found that in daily prayer, many people learn how to hear from God. Why? Because of the fact that they receive something, and they're not sure whether they, it was from God or it was last night's noodles. But when someone actually says the exact same thing, exact same thing, <laughs> that's an Americanism, they says as the exact same thing. They said that's a confirmation. Does that make sense? May I suggest to you that actually what Caleb was saying is when he says, I wholly follow the Lord, he's not talking about some kind of bravado. He's talking about the fact that he looked at the word of the Lord. He allowed the word of the Lord to be shaped, to be refined. He didn't always hear it correctly. There were adjustments to be made. And God would confirm or not confirm certain things. But he was in the process. It was like this fiery ball that he was keeping within himself. This fiery thing that he didn't just dismiss. He didn't dismiss it just like that. He didn't dismiss it just because it didn't come to pass immediately. He kept it. And he treasured it like Mary treasured these things in her heart. 
What say you? And it's alive. It's not some inert thing that's just words on a page. It's like it has the possibility of confirming itself. Or the more and more I meditate upon it, the more and more I pray over it, the more and more real it becomes. Next morning I wake up, over the next morning's cup of coffee, it feels like dead. Then I pray over it, and then something comes alive again. It comes alive again. And over 45 years, um, Caleb began to find that this thing became more real. Not only was it real in his imagination or in his spirit, it began to be real in his body as well. Paul says that Abraham fought, hoped against hope, and then in doing that, it gave him strength to procreate as well. His whole body even was affected by that. That is the reality of the Holy Spirit. Whether we are sick or whether we are, have circumstances that are depressing, there's something that stands right there. It may be a small thing, one small word. It stands between you and the utter disaster and, and, and catastrophe. And if it's real, it will come to pass. You don't have to make it come to pass. It will be miraculous. So much so that in the fire of much affliction and much testing, you can have authority because even though you've been broken down in many, many ways, this thing is still alive. It's still alive. And as you listen to it more and more and you give it place, you give it more and more ascendancy in your life, it becomes real. It serves you. It becomes your best friend. You walk around with it. You get tested and you suddenly get shaken. Spurgeon says, I am shaken, but my Lord, the rock, is not. That thing isn't shaken, and I keep coming back to it. And so when I went through my cancer period, period, period of cancer, every day I would have to come back to this fiery ball of a word that I received. And I said, Lord, I need a new one. I need a new one today. And, and another one would come. I'd wait upon it, and the more and more I wait upon it, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. By the time I found out that I was cancer-free, it's very interesting. I had less confidence in myself, but more confidence in God. I, was, I had less bravado. I had less boldness, but I had more boldness in God. So, I go through things, and I may be shaken, but I know where to go. I know where to go because my rock is not some inert thing. It is alive. And when I say, Lord, talk to me again, I, I forgot. I forgot. It doesn't feel the same way as, as it felt yesterday. And then I wait upon him. He becomes alive again and tells me more. And so Caleb said, now I'm stronger. He has given me strength. I have the same strength as I had when I was 40 years old. Amen? So that even in the waiting he was filled with the promise of God. The promise of God became no longer some print on his imag imagination, but it became a substance in him. And that substance grew and grew and grew and grew. Even as his outer person was falling apart, the thing began to grow stronger and stronger and stronger. Maybe he looked like Yoda. Very small ears out there, but very, very strong. <laughs> no, no, just kidding. I don't know where that came from. But... There's a way in which God is building up the spiritual person in us. May I suggest that we need to understand that it's that only that will do signs and wonders and miracles. Only that will bring us to, to 2024. Nothing else will. Everything else is being biopsied. 
Everything else is being cut apart. But this one will stand you in good stead. Amen? Let us pray. He said, I wholly follow the Lord. Not just in my mind, not in my intellect only, but in my whole will, my being. There are going to be times in which what you feel strongly about today in church, you may feel nothing tomorrow. But the word of God, if it is real, is still there. And you pray into it. And every day you come in and say, Lord, renew that word. Take a life, let it take a life on it of its own for me. And it will come out. Every day God adds to it. And you become more and more a person of the word, made by the word. Lord, we welcome you. We bring before you our dreams, our future. We bring before you 2024. And we agree with you, Lord, that we are not stuck. That no obstacle has the final say. We are yours, O Lord. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not hold my peace or rest until your righteousness goes forth as brightness. Lord, we come before you, Lord. We say, Lord, we want to be given over to you. We surrender to you. I wonder whether as we are just closing, the Lord is putting upon your heart, your mind, things to commit to. To commit to in following Him. Whether it's prayer or listening to Him or having a different attitude towards things that you have perhaps shied away from. I want to give you an opportunity to just, even in these moments, uh, the presence of God, you can make a commitment to God. For some of you, you may be saying, I want to be rooted in a church. I want to be rooted and established in the body. Not necessarily having a lot of friends, but just being rooted in your purposes that you have for this body. For Zion's sake. I sense that the Lord is just, for some of us, just releasing revelation, just nudging you and, and us giving direction, even as we wait in His presence for just a little bit. We thank you, Lord. There are some things that I sense some, some of us have felt. I've tried this before. It doesn't work. And the Lord said, be committed to it. The idea is not to try it, but be committed. 
Some say, I tried listening to God. It doesn't always happen. You know, he said, be committed to it. You commit yourself first. There's something about being immersed in it, being committed to it, dying into it, that changes the whole dynamic. So Lord, we thank you for your presence with us. We commit this coming year into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.